Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. And joining me on today's show is film composer, musician, and filmmaker A.J. Caruso. A.J. has worked on numerous short films throughout his career, including his very own Z1412, Monsters Anonymous, which was co-written by my friends Jason Robbins and Wally Phelps, and Survey, which yours truly also worked on a couple of years ago. A.J. talks about growing up in New Orleans, uh, his time as a touring musician across the Southeast, his transition into the film industry, and the process of scoring a film. It was great getting to finally meet A.J. after hearing numerous great things about him from other mutual friends of ours, so uh, it was great getting to hear his story and getting to chat with him, and hopefully you guys enjoy it. And he has a special discount code for the listeners of this show for his Bandcamp store, but you'll have to listen to the episode to find out what that code is. So without further ado, here is my conversation with A.J. Caruso. So I'm joined with my special guest this week, composer and filmmaker, Mr. A.J. Caruso. How are you tonight, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, as it's funny because uh, when I relaunched, uh, relaunched the podcast under the new format, and I was talking with uh, a good friend of mine, Steve Wise, who directed Survey, which you did the music for, he was one of, or you were one of the first people that he uh, recommended uh, when he was naming off people that he knew. He's like, you got to have AJ on. So I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to come on the show. Yeah, very cool. Thank you. So uh, let's start from the beginning. Uh, we were talking before we started recording. You you grew up in New Orleans, correct? Yeah, yeah I was born and raised in New Orleans. Um, I lived there for roughly 30 years. Um, within that stretch, I did move to Austin, Texas. Uh, I did play, you know, music and rock bands in the late 80s and uh, early 90s. And um, in that period, I moved to Austin, Texas for a little while, then came back to New Orleans. Um, I had since um, moved away to Charlotte, North Carolina for a brief period and then have been in Atlanta ever since about 2003. I love Atlanta. It's one of my favorite places to visit. Uh, I used to go there uh, every summer when I was a kid. Me and a few of my family members, we would go watch uh, Braves games. It was right after Turner Field opened. Mm-hmm. So we, we would go every summer and Atlanta is just a, a really cool place. There's a lot of stuff to do and you know, from where I live, it's really not that far of a drive. Yeah, it's interesting because when we moved away, you know, Atlanta wasn't on the radar at all. Um, and then when we had an opportunity to move to Atlanta, it was back closer to home from Charlotte. So in that respect, it was a good thing. But um, when we got here, we're like, man, this place is just awesome. I mean, there's so much to do here. Now, granted, we live about 30 miles or so north of the city. So we're not in the hustle bustle of all the crazy traffic and stuff every day. But but yeah, there's so much to do here. Concerts. I mean, I remember used to get frustrated when certain, you know, rock bands would go on tour and they'd skip over New Orleans and maybe go to Biloxi or, or you know, that sort of thing. But uh, there's no shortage of any entertainment in Atlanta. Everything comes to Atlanta. It's pretty awesome. Well, that's the way to do it, too, is to live, you know, 20 or 30 miles from the city. That way you're not congested in all the traffic because Atlanta traffic is a nightmare for those yeah, who have never been. It, it's funny because early last year I went to Los Angeles for the first time and I've got two of my coworkers who helped, you know, organize my trip and everything because they were from California and they kept warning me about the traffic. But honestly, it's not as bad as Atlanta traffic. Right, right. 
It's 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 yeah. pretty insane. It's funny because I've done a couple of these podcasts before, and you know, usually talk about where you're from and where you're living, and that's sort where of, the Atlanta traffic will always come up. <laughs> it's that epic. <laughs> exactly. Now I remember several years ago I was in Atlanta. Uh, just as a getaway for a few days, and I made the mistake of driving home the day before Thanksgiving, and I will never do that again. Because <laughs> I, I left Atlanta at, I'd say, 10 or 10.30 in the morning, and mm-hmm. I got back to Pensacola at 7.30 at night. Yeah. And yeah, that's with the time change. Yep. So kind of transitioning into your your music, what was it that you know, made you want to pursue music as a career? Because New Orleans is is pretty big when it comes to the music scene. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting. So it's my interest in music started really young. Um, I was always into music, like, like probably any kid growing up. And then just lo and behold, I learned that my dad had an old electric guitar stuffed away in the closet he used to play when he was young. And as I got old enough, um, I learned that. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty interesting. So I picked it up and started doodling with it. And um, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a funny story because I got in, I was mid to late teens. So I was kind of late starting into music, actually learning an instrument, I should say, because most, most folks start before that. Um, but uh, the band Def Leppard um, came out. They were just getting big on uh, MTV back then. And um, I, got, I was a big fan. That was one of the first you know rock bands um, that I really started getting into and uh, studying their music and that sort of thing. And uh they kicked up. Pete Willis was that one of their original guitar players, and he was back then, right? I didn't know any better. He was the the cool guy with the long hair and that sort of thing. And they kicked him out of the band and hired Phil Collin, who I, I must preface this with saying I'm a huge Phil Collin fan. The guy's awesome, but he had really short hair, didn't look like he fit in the band, and it frustrated me. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna learn guitar so good. I'm gonna join Def Leppard one day and take that guy's place. <laughs> so, so that's actually the funny story of how I got into learning guitar, electric, really taking it serious, and it piqued my interest. And uh, that was the funny story that kicked me in the gear. Now it's interesting because flash forward many, many years later, um, as you probably know, the other guitar player, original guitar player from Steve, uh, Steve Clark from Def Leppard, passed away, mm-hmm. and um, I had already done been touring in bands and whatnot at that point, and my management at the time had learned of that and we put together an actual audition package to send to Def Leppard. So it was kind of freaky for a little while because I knew that going back to my childhood, that was one of the catalysts that had me start playing guitar. And I'm like, wow, I'm actually sending some information over to Def Leppard to try to get an audition with the band. Wouldn't that be a trip? You know? (laughs) So, so nonetheless, they hired Vivian Campbell of Dio and (laughs) things moved on, but but that was that was really kind of catalyst that got me interested, and um, you know it's it's interesting because not until later in life did I realize or appreciated growing up in New Orleans and you know pursuing music in such a musical town. You know when you're when you're young and you're learning music and learning instruments and joining bands and all your friends around you're in bands and you're in the you're in the music scene, you really don't think about that right you're just you're in the town you're living in that's all you know and you're just trying to pursue a music career right um back then it was you know the whole rock band thing um but yeah later in life you realize man you know what once you get out and you start going to other towns and other cities and seeing the music scene man we have it really good in new orleans you know when it comes to some music and you really just i never really appreciated that until after i moved away and and turned around and kind of you know, look through those those different glasses that back at my my history had grown up in New Orleans, you know, how much 
that was, you know, to us growing up as musicians, just having that all around us. And, and uh, I think that looking back in time, there's so many great musicians, friends of mine that are just unbelievable musicians, musicians, excuse me, musicians. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's, you never appreciated growing up in New Orleans around that until I moved away, you know, so it was definitely a good and lucky thing, you know, to, to get into music and come from such a musical town. Yeah, it's one of those things that, like you said, you appreciate something more when you're away from it than when you had it. Because I'll use the example of, you know, the beaches that we have here. And I'll go to a beach in, like, you know, the East Coast or even when I went out to Los Angeles. And you think it it doesn't compare to what we have back home. So, no, I can can definitely understand that for sure. Yeah. So how did you transition into – because I was reading your website and you actually – uh, toured across the southeast with bands like Cheap Trick, uh, Foreigner, Kansas, which if my dad were here, he would be geeking out over it because I grew up on that <laughs> kind of music. So how did you get into that? Well, it's it's really just, I guess, over time, right? So um, joining bands, you know, going out on the road, starting with cover bands and touring all around the southeast, like I said. Um, you know, just getting your chops, getting your chops up, getting your getting your experiences under your belt. You know, and then bands break up and you form new bands. And then um, flash forward, you know, after, you know, honing our chops up, I ended up in, uh, my, I'll call it my last, you know, rock band, which was called Straight Jacket Smile. And it just really did good. We were about, you know, half originals. We started going more of an original path of music, um, writing our own songs and whatnot. And we still did a lot of covers. Um, but yeah, we started doing really, really well. And then we started getting all of the opening shows, all the big acts coming through New Orleans. Cheap Trick, et cetera, those, we just really started getting those shows, and it, it was just a really good time. We were just hitting on all strides, and, uh, you know, it just was, it was rolling our way, you know? <laughs> and then before you know it, you know, the if you've ever seen a VH1 episode of, you know, <laughs> any of those old rock rock uh, documentaries or whatnot, you know, usually they blow, those bands blow up, and then you come to the end, and, and then you're on your way, right? So that was that really peaked out in about 93 for me. And then after, after that, then I knew I had to probably start looking elsewhere. Cause after a couple of tries, I, I was lucky. I shouldn't complain too much because a lot of musicians go through a lot of bands in their music career. And it's, you know, every time you get in a new band, it's like starting over. And um, I was pretty lucky. I didn't really have, I was in fewer bands for longer bits of time, you know? So I really wasn't in a crazy amount of bands my whole life. Um, which I think is a good thing because man hopping around is just exhausting, you know? So, and then being, I was always interested in songwriting. So I was always not by design, the primary songwriter, just kind of by happenstance, but I always loved original music and I still do, you know, I always look for those uh, big fan of original music. When I look back at all my friends and bands back home or, or anywhere, I'm, I'm always looking for original bands. Cover bands are a huge thing. Tribute bands, you know, that that's a whole nother market. That's, that's bubbled its way up into the the music scenes out there. But, um, and they're great. I mean, man, some of the things that some of these tribute bands are doing, it's, it's like you're watching the original band, you know? So it's pretty amazing what they're doing out there. But, uh, but I've just always been a fan of original music. So I knew once I got out of the kind of rock band thing, I needed to continue to pursue that, um, in some way, shape or form. So that's what kind of started to transfer me into, you know, the film aspect of the world. Cause that was another, arena, if you will, where you could write original music, still get your creativity, you know, um, you know, still status, satisfy your creativity um, and just be in another genre, you know, of, of music, so to speak. Right. 
Now, when you were touring, did you have any certain cities that you know you enjoyed visiting more than others? Like, are there some that stick out in your mind? Um, not really. Back when I was touring, we were just all over the place. I mean, that was when it wasn't so much you 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 know we had your, you had your booking agents agents and your managers and whatnot. But because you're you're a young and hungry band, you're taking any show anywhere, you know, sort of thing. So we just played all over the place. It was like probably some of the most irrational, you know, uh, travel that you've ever seen on paper. But but yeah, I mean, there was some there were some fun towns. I mean, you, you can't beat home. You know, that's that's for certain. You know, again, go back to the to the home New Orleans thing. We always did really good at home. It was always great crowds at home because that's your that's your your, your bread and butter. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough to say. We we played out um, El Paso, Texas. I remember was a, was a really fun place to play. Um, we didn't get too far east, you know. I think we got into the, the not even as far as Atlanta, but we did play some Georgia shows back then. So we didn't really go too far east. It was a lot of southeast and west, you know. If I if I think about it, but um, we played a Air Force base once in Lawton, Oklahoma, which was a phenomenal show. It was like incredible all military town all military crowd it was really really super so um a couple of them stick out um you know we did some big shows at the old saint bernard civic center and and uh Chalmette, louisiana those are some some really big shows you know those big kind of mini arenas if you will um so there was a couple that stick out but for the most part man that was back we just were playing to play it didn't matter where we played didn't matter where we how far we had to drive you know it was all it was all good I imagine that military show had to have been a, a kind of a surreal experience because I know, especially if you know, I know you mentioned you're an NFL fan, but every year in college they have the Army Navy game, mm-hmm. and the seeing that atmosphere because you know sometimes they'll do their college game day show at one of the bases and it's just all military and it's the environment's pretty surreal. So I can imagine that doing a concert would be like that as well. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it was it was at a, a rock club, so it wasn't necessarily at a base or anything, but it was right near the base. So, and, and in Lawton, Oklahoma, I, it's, I'm sorry, the darn base is slipping my mind now, but it's been so long ago. But I mean, we after the show, it was like the entire club moved to our hotel. I mean, <laughs> it's just like they were just ready to party, you know, ready to go crazy. It was just one of the craziest shows I think we ever played. It was fun. Now transitioning into film, you mentioned that you wanted to get into songwriting and you're using film as a way to continue to express your creativity through music. What was it about film that drew you to that specifically? Well, it started so coming right out of the after I, you know, our final band broke up and I decided I need to just try something different here. It's just, you know, I'm way behind in life at this point. I got to play some catch up. So, but I knew I couldn't just drop the the songwriting. I had to continue some path around music. So my first thought was, you know, I love video games and video games are, you know, at that point in my life, we're really starting to get pretty big, almost really getting to be cinematic and that sort of thing. So I said, you know what, maybe I'll go down that path. So I started doing some demos and shopping around some demos for to video companies, never really got any bites, but then um, commercials, that sort of thing. I had some friends that, you know, work for media companies, for example, and they might need little clips of music here and there. And they started reaching out to me. So I kind of started dabbling in that, which again, all of this is cool because, you know, you're writing any style of music. It just really lets you hone your skills around, you know, well, we need some, you know, light bluesy type piano or, you know, just, just the, the, a rainbow spectrum of, 
of requests for different styles of music. So it's really good as far as, you know, trying to, you know, just again, improve your skills around writing different genres of music. So there was that. And then really what kicked me in was a really good friend of mine from way back in our preteen years, I'll say, or our teenagers. Um, his name is Brian Kaz. He was, he was always into computer animation and then he got into filmmaking and we, I had lost touch with him for a while. He was, he was back in New Orleans and I had moved away. And he had done a few short films, and he was finally going on the path of doing his very first full feature film. And we just hooked up. He, he reached out to me and said, hey, would you mind, um, you know, doing the music for my full feature film? He used to do a lot of his own music, but this project was huge as a, as a feature film, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I was like, heck, yeah, man, this is awesome. So um, so we hooked up, and that was a, we worked about two years on that project collectively overall, you know, from start to finish. And uh, it just came out awesome, man. It was just, I'm so proud. In fact, it's probably still to this day one of my proudest um, soundtracks I've ever done. The film's called My Friend Oscar. In fact, it's it's out on uh, Amazon Video now. You can uh, go watch it, uh, rent it. And then um, and I have the soundtrack, too. It's out on um, iTunes and at my new Bandcamp store that I just started actually a couple months ago. So, so that's what really got me into film. And once I did that, once I finished my first feature film score i knew i was hooked i'm like yeah this this has to be what i keep doing because it's just it's 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 very different than the band thing right and you know in the band you have you know five different musicians all trying to stay focused on the same thing and this is a little bit a little bit better for your your uh i don't know how to how to say it <laughs> you know it's just kind of you and the director now you know so it's a, it's a smaller quote band if you will working together um, but then you get to lock yourself in your studio and just write. And it's just, man, it's just it's just the escape. It's just it's everything that songwriting is. You know, it's just you get to truly escape. And I knew once I did that, that full feature score that this is what I needed to do. And then from there, I just started shopping myself and getting gigs here and there. You know, it's it's really challenging, just like trying to make it in the music industry. Right. I mean, if you're trying to write uh, music for indie films, you know, it's not while there's a lot of indie films being made, you know, by many, many folks every year and all over the, all over the country, it's a finding them. And then B it's just, it's still kind of a hit or miss thing. Right. You know, like, um, you know, finding yourself, promoting yourself, but then they have to have the budget, you know, and that sort of thing. So a lot of indie films are struggling, just like struggling musicians. I put there to me, one and one, you know, <laughs> actors, musicians, filmmakers, they're all, from the same thing you know they come from the same same cloth just different different skill sets that they're trying to pursue but they're all have the same struggles the same exact challenges as they you know uh pursue their careers but that's what did it that's what got me down the kind of the film score thing and i've been doing you know really good ever since you know just been finding jobs here and there and, and keeping the wheels turning and then within that um came the you know being so tied in the filmmaking because you really get drawn in, you know, when you're doing scores and whatnot, at least I do. Um, I got really interested in just the process of filmmaking. And then um, I, I had a story that I just was playing around. I'm a horror fan. You know, that's one of my favorite genres, although I love any kind of any kind of movies. Um, that's my favorite genre. And then the, the subgenre of, of zombies is my favorite. You know, grew up on, you know, Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead. That, that was you know, my favorite subgenre ever since a kid. Zombies are just the greatest thing. Um, so I had this story. It was a little different short film uh, script that was just a little bit different spin on the zombie thing. Zombies had taken over the world and every, every 
you know, everything you could possibly do with a zombie had been done. And I, I stumbled across this one little idea and I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. This hasn't, I hadn't seen this done yet. So I wrote a uh, short film script and um, I was going to just try to shop it, see if I could find a director, producer to make it, you know, and, and maybe do the music for it. That was where I was my first pursuit. And then, um, then I decided, I'm like, you know what, I might try to make my own short film. You know, I've learned, I always try to get to set, even though I'm a composer, I always try to engross myself in the, whatever project I'm working on. So if I can get to set, I'll try to do it just to hang out with the projects, you know, get the feel for what, what the film and the project's like and about and that sort of thing. So I've been around it a lot over the years that I've been film scoring. And I decided, you know what, let me just put myself through a little mini self mini uh, film school here and try to do my own short film. And that's that's what got me into making my first film. <laughs> and how was that transition from, you know, composing to then being more involved behind the camera, like you coming up with the story and directing it? Was it was it kind of a culture shock in a way or because you had been around it? Did you kind of know what to expect? Um, I won't say I knew what to expect. I, I'll say I knew the very basic process. And, and I didn't just make the film, too. I, I literally put myself through school for a while. I bet I bet for a good six to eight months, all I did was I, you know, took, went to YouTube school. <laughs> like, everything I could possibly pull up, you know, how to cast, you know, how to, you know, how to, how to properly, you know, format your scripts. I just put myself through my own self film school. And again, I knew the major bullet points, you know, you know, from kind of A to Z, just because from, from what I've seen, but not having any formal film training or that sort of thing, you know, I've done some limited video and for, I'm into photography a little bit. So I knew a little bit about the technical aspects of, you know, you know, apertures and you know, shutter speeds and all that stuff. Right. So I knew a little bit of each, each little bucket, I'll say, I knew a little bit about, but I really put myself through, you know, a rigors of learning as much as I could before I started the project. Lighting, lighting sets. I mean, just you name it from A to Z. And then I decided to take it on, you know, and that's, I'll say that it, it went really good. You know, I think I, I'm very lucky, I'll say, because I've, I've been involved in enough film, um, scores to know that man projects nine times out of ten they never meet their deadlines they always are pushed out and delayed and it's just the the nature of the beast right and you know we planned our shoots i think we went over we had we shot for um what was it about five nights we shot at night because it was all a night shoot and uh only one night we ran an hour and a half over because it stormed and we had to pull in the lights for a little while until it finished storming so even that went really really good you know we planned for x hours of shooting we let our actors go at x hours and i really focused hard on that you know when you're hiring actors and uh you know up-and-coming actors they're doing all this stuff for credit or dirt cheap at a minimum you know food basically um you know i felt like as a director producer that I owe that to my actors, you know, so I really tried hard to, to build a very structured, um, you know, format to film under and that sort of thing. And, and it went really good. I, I can't complain. The only thing that almost caught us off guard was a week before we started shoot, literally a week before we started shooting, my main actor called and said that, um, he had got accepted to a film school in New York and that he would be moving in a, just a couple weeks, but that cut into our, filming schedule so now i had to flip some day i had to go in chaos mode and flip some shoot days around so that we could get all of his scenes shot before he had to leave you know so but that we, we were able to accommodate it but it was terrifying because i had a week <laughs> to figure it out you know so 
So that was probably the one unexpected thing I had, but I, I really can't complain. Everything else went really good. Our cast and crew did, you know, fantastic. We everything, you know, happened on schedule. And then, yeah, I mean, it it, it came out. I mean, it was I knew it wasn't going to win an Oscar or anything. Um, that was not the goal. The goal was to basically priority one, make a cool little short film and prove that I could do it. You know, that was really the the objective of this first project. And if it comes out good. Who knows, maybe we, we make a second one, not necessarily a sequel, but a second project and, and continue down maybe, you know, filmmaking and in addition to the film score thing. So that's really the background of, of how that all kind of transpired. No, and that's that's awesome. And I, I'm glad to hear that, you know, it went it went as well as it could because I've heard enough horror stories where I think I really wish that, you know, I, or I'm glad that I wasn't involved with that. But no, that's that's really cool. And I don't know if you feel the same way, but and I learned this through, you know, doing the Parker syndrome, my short film, was that there's so many moving parts and even those that you don't really know are there until yeah. like you actually do it. And the fact that you're from I tell people that there's from the director all the way down to the PA, every position is important. Like it's truly a collaborative effort. And Honestly, I think that's what I enjoy about the filmmaking process so much is that there's so many people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different areas, different skill sets that are all working for one common goal. Yeah, and that's the cool thing, I think, not even so much filmmaking, but just the entertainment business, because you could you could look at it in multiple. Same with, you know, concerts. You have the band, you have the road crew, you have the production crew. It's kind of the again, it's like a similar thing, but that's what I love about just the creative process of film, music, and that sort of thing is, like you said, it's, and it's scary, right? It's terrifying when you walk into it because it just feels like, I always pictured it like a, a massive Thanksgiving dinner, right? And everything needs to land where all the food's ready at the same time. Except this time, there's no rule on how long the turkey takes and how long the potatoes take and how long the, <laughs> how long the you know, stuffing takes. That, that's an easy math problem if you're a cook to figure out, you know, how, how to make all that land, even though that shouldn't, I shouldn't even say that, right? Because cooking was way, way more to cooking than that. But there's, there's historical information that can help you there. Filmmaking, every project's going to be different. There's no guarantee that anything's going to land where it should. <laughs> so, so it's terrifying to walk into it, but you're right. And at the end of our little short film project, it's, you're truly saddened. Like the last day that you're shooting, you've been with these folks for like, you know, a month in my case, over over the course of a month. You know, they're coming over basically every weekend night. We're basically living together from sundown to sunup every single weekend night, Friday, Saturday, Sunday sort of thing. And then all of a sudden it's over. And now there's still a lot of work to do, right? We've got to write music, we've got to edit, we've got to do all that stuff, all the post-production. But these people that you lived and became to love they're gone now and you, you might never see them again. You know, And it's just, it was a really sad thing. And it makes you at that moment, you're like, you know what, we got to do another project because I, I can't like lose all these people, you know? So yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing, but boy, when it's done, it's such a fantastic feeling, you know, that all that came together, everybody working, like you said, towards the common goal. And just to have, that's why I say you know, a lot of people, they'll see short films and like, oh, that film sucks, you know, that sort of thing. But it's like, you know what? I go to a lot of film festivals, watch a lot of films, and I don't care what you say, man. If you're out there and you're putting a film together and you're completing something, something tangible, and it's out there at film festivals, I don't care if it's the worst damn film showing tonight. 
kudos to you, man, because you you there's a lot more people out there that are doing all that same stuff, and none of that's ever getting seen because it's for whatever reason they're never getting it out there, you know. So you just I hand it to anybody who's successfully creating anything, whether it's music, whether it's you know film or acting or anything. If you got something and you're pushing out there. Man, if it's not the greatest thing, so what? You finished it and and you did it, you know, sort of thing. So, yeah, it's it, it's just a great thing, man. Filmmaking and and music, it's just all so fantastic. Exactly, and to go off of your point, even just creating it, the process of just doing it and getting it started is half the battle. Oh yeah. So it's, it's that's that's what I tell everybody who is aspiring to make a film or. You know, in some cases, go into music or, or whatever it is. Half the battle is that first step, yeah. And it's just all downhill from there. So it's 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 a really fun process. And kind of going back into the scoring aspect, what is the process of like like say someone someone hires you to score their film? How does the process go from there? Because I, I know very little to nothing about the process of scoring a film. Yeah, so the the basic process is pretty simple, right? So if you you meet with the director, you guys, you know, once you get hired for the gig, um, you might have a meeting, you talk about, you know, where you might you want music, where you don't want music, that sort of thing. If there's anything particular they maybe want, um, you know, sometimes directors are very specific. You know, I want want an accordion in the music. You know, it has to have an accordion in it because that's a feel I want to give, you know, sort of. And then sometimes, you know, a director's like, I don't have, I've never really focused on the music. So just come up with something and we'll take it from there. You know, palettes wide open, start the creative process and let's just start bouncing off one another. And then really it's just a matter of them, you know, you, you, they send you the, hopefully they send you the locked version of the edit and then you go off on your way and, and you write. And usually it takes a couple iterations here and there. You tweak some things, you bounce off the director and that's it. That's, that's pretty much the basics. Now I'm going to back up for a second because <laughs> it never really works that that particular way, you right. know? So whether it's planned or not, like you said, um, so usually what I like to do, this is now just me, that's the basics of scoring, but um, what I like to do first is, let me read the script. Before I even want to say I'll do it, uh, let me read the script, because and it's not just a, a, a me thing at all. I want to make sure that it resonates with me. I feel like I can do it justice. Like when I read a script, soon as I read through the script, as I'm reading a script, I should say, I'm already in my mind can tell where I, I would, without even seeing a lick of video, I can tell where I feel like music should go or maybe not go sort of thing. So I'm already kind of spotting the film in my mind, but I'm also getting a feel for the, the film itself. So I want to make sure that, you know, it's really something that I can do justice to because one thing it's kind of my mantra is, you know, when you're scoring film, it has to be about the film. It cannot be about your music. You cannot, you know, bottom line is you got to do a great job on the music, whatever the music is, you know, it doesn't matter. So that's a given, that's the price of admission there, but it has to be about the film. I don't know how many times I've recommended to directors where they might want music. I've said, you know what, we shouldn't have any music right here. This should be just dialogue, no music at all, you know? So it really has to be about that. So once I feel like, yeah, I, I get it. I like the story. I, I can get into this. Because, again, I don't want to just take on a project just because it's a new job and I can make a couple bucks at it if it really doesn't resonate. Because then I'm not doing the project justice. I'm not doing the filmmaker justice. 
I, you know, I don't want to just dump some music in there just because to say, hey, I did the music, you know. So I really want to resonate with the project. Have the I should say have the the project resonate with me before I even want to commit to it. So once I commit, then we start really the conversation of where we want music or is anything in particular about it, um, that sort of thing. And again, it ranges from very, very specific things that a director might have in mind all the way to just start writing and let's see what comes out and, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there. So that's that's a big unknown, you know, because depending on what how that range is might send you down different paths, you know. So um, but again, that's that's not a problem. It's just that particular project's going to go take a di little different path than, than another project. Um, from there, it's all about that edit lock. And this is the, to me, this is the biggest challenge with working with indie filmmakers is just because again, they don't have the budget, they don't have the crew. So I get it. I'm not picking on anyone here is in the big scope of the world. Um, you know, a film will get edit locked and handed off to the composer. And for all intents and purposes, that lock's not, that edit's not moving anymore. So when a composer starts writing music, I mean, it's, it's very daunting because you can get meticulous. I mean, you're talking beats of words. You're, you might be trying to time music with, you know, I don't know, I'm going to just be, make up something here. The, you know, the, the steps of someone walking down the street and when a, a cut occurs, you know, to another, to another edit, you're trying to type music sometimes with at the frame level, you know, within this frame, I need to make sure the music shifts at this frame. So if they go back and they re-edit and they find they could tighten things up a little bit, and then they come back and say, hey, I tightened this little scene up, and you've already written the music for it, that you could literally get shoved all the way back to ground zero because now the tempo doesn't fit in that scene, it, and you can't just speed it up or slow it down because it ruins the mood. So... That's the big thing and the biggest challenge, and I try to really try to work with the director on is I'd like to not, and this is how it again it works in the big leagues is you don't really start doing music until the edit locks in place. Now back again back down ground level at the indie filmmaker level that doesn't always happen right because you're always trying to improve it. Sometimes you get started and then the edit comes back and it's changed. I've had. Uh, projects go where that's happened like multiple iterations <laughs> so sometimes you can save the piece sometimes you can't save the piece and that can get costly you know and and now you get into your original budget quote was built with you know reasonable about a reasonable amount of rewrites but sometimes that can go way over or be very not necessarily the amount of rewrites but the the one particular rewrite that it caused is significant you know so that's where that gets a little unknown right all the unknowns about filmmaking this is kind of the unknowns about the, the the film score so if you can if you're lucky enough to get an edit lock then you're cruising you know if the, if no edits occur again after you start the music you're cruising along your way now you're just bouncing the music back to the director and say how's this feel do we need to add some instruments take away some instruments got any other ideas you know that sort of thing so then that that dialogue goes back and forth until you kind of whittle it down to exactly the the music and the the piece you want you know and again sometimes it's it's significant sometimes it's not significant it just all depends on the project and you know again if the if the director envisions something and then you happen to come up with something very close to that then hey you, you lucked out you know you, you kind of hit in the ballpark and now that that piece is going to probably live maybe on a first take you know first try so and then again, once you get done with that, then of course you have to lock it all in. A lot of times filmmakers will have to kind of run that by the producers, make sure they're happy with it. Cause then it may come back, even though once the director and myself are happy and we're good and we're saying, Hey, we're good to go. 
they may have to show it to some producers and investors, and sometimes that'll come back and say, ah, they didn't like this piece for whatever reason, even though we like it. <laughs> you know, the guy that's flipping the bill just really doesn't like that music right there. So sometimes you have to do a final, you know, rewrite or two just because of that process. And um, and then you're on your way. And then once you kind of lock it all in, you master up your 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 mixes, and then you send the files to the the director, and they're on their way. So that's pr really pretty much the... The deal, it's interesting, I saw, uh, I love Hans Zimmer, right? So I watch a lot of his interviews and it was so, it was encouraging, I'll say, because I saw an interview with him, a recent interview, and it started with, you know, someone was asking him about kind of the process or whatever. And he says, yeah, he says, normally directors will call and they say, hey, we want to hire you for this film. And his, his, his pretty much his instant response is, I have no clue to what I would do with that. So he said, it's, a, it's terrifying, even at, Hans Zimmer level, <laughs> you know, he's, he's pretty established, I would say, by this point in his career. To this day, he still gets terrified about that blank sheet of paper that once he takes on a project, maybe it's the new you know, Pirates of the Caribbean movie, and he has no idea. He sits down at the piano, and he has no idea, and it's this terrifying you know, calm of, of blackness over you that you just you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know what first note you're going to strike. And it's interesting because that's exactly what it feels like. It's just, it's a little terrifying to know that you could be as successful as a Hans Zimmer and, and still have that feeling. <laughs> but, uh, but it's amazing because once you start, it always starts like that. It's terrifying when you start because you don't know what you're going to do. It's a blank slate. You could, you could play any note. You could play any instrument. What do you do? You know, sort of thing. Um, but then once you, it's amazing because once you start getting on a roll and it starts kind of building upon itself, then you get really comfortable. Then you start rolling. You know, then it's like, oh my God, this is coming out so good. So it's just you gotta know that you're gonna hit that initial terrifying moment right at the start, but that it's gonna go away once you start <laughs> you start hammering it out. Uh you, you're able to get through it and 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 get, you know, get on your way. But it was really cool to hear Hans Zimmer. It was encouraging to hear Hans Zimmer say that that's exactly what he feels like even to this day. That was cool. No, for sure, and I'm sure if I were a composer and I heard Hans Zimmer say that, I would think, you know what, it's not so bad. If, if even someone on the caliber of Hans Zimmer, who, you know, is, is one of the best composers out in film right now, yeah. if if he still gets terrified, then you know what, I'm going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of going back to something that you said earlier about you read the script before you start doing any type of film or score work I think that's an awesome quality because that shows that you know you have the passion for it like you're not doing it just to make money or whatever that may be it's, it's, it's you're showing that you care about the process and I think that's I think that's a huge quality so that's that's awesome yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and and I I get engrossed I mean my wife will tell you it's almost psychotic but once I accept a project I become the project. It's like, like I, like I said, if I can, uh, I did a score for a film that they shot up in the Smoky Mountains um, years back, and they had to kind of come past my house, right? And I'm like, I want to go on set. So we actually pitched in. We went up with them and spent the, the couple four or five days up in the Smoky Mountains and just hung out. We just helped, like, like crew, and uh, just so we, I could hang out on the set and 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 help, you know, too. I was, I was. You know, selfishly, I got some, you know, you know, like, again, filmmaking school, but that wasn't the, the intent. The intent was to get on set, see how the actors were, you know, see how they were acting, see the see the scenes, see the, see the scenic backdrops, you know, just 
just engross yourself in it because all of that comes out when you finally start to write the music. That all that visions in your mind, you know, all that uh, all those visions are floating around in your mind. It just it it helps. You know, you just project what feel of music is going to come out to match that. You know, so um, yeah, I think it's a big part of it. I don't. I, I would. I would want to do it. Not that I would never do a job without reading the script. You know, maybe you might hand me just the video. Maybe it's done. You know, and uh, in fact, I've had that happen before, where uh, film. In fact, it was another full feature film. Uh, the composer dropped out as they were in the middle of the process. Right, they're they're in post production at this point. And their composer quit on them. So then I got a call and said, hey, would you be interested in picking this up? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Another full feature. I'm definitely in. Let me check it out. Now, granted, I still read the script. I asked for the script. But I watched the the uh, movie, really, before I ever read the script, you know, sort of thing. So um, so there's examples where you might not read the script. That In that example, I didn't have a chance to. So now I'm looking at the footage, which isn't a bad thing either, right? It's, it's not like you have to read the script as a composer. But in that particular example, I was able to watch the movie first and then start working on the music there. So not not a bad thing, but it was different. It was an example. That was probably the one example I can think of where I actually didn't read the script before I started working on the music. Oh, for sure. Also, you mentioned, you know, you going out to set and kind of getting a feel for the environment of where they were shooting and whatnot. I thought a, a really good example because transitioning to a film that we both worked on that we mentioned at the beginning, Survey. when I was doing the sound edit, something that I really noticed about the score that I enjoyed was that you used instruments that I felt like would have existed during that time period. Like you didn't use any type of like a, a heavy metal guitar sound or anything like that. There were the woodwinds, drums, and other things like that that I thought really fit in with the picture. So I, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that was a huge component. In fact, I, that was one of the things early on I told Steve because what was cool about Survey, which I like about it, was just the the fact that you didn't know what what age it was in. Right? Was it post-apocalyptic? Was it some other planet? You know, it's like it never really answers that. So, so you really don't know where you're at, or, or if you're on Earth, or or whatnot. So you you only have what you're looking at to kind of go on. And that was one of the first things I told Steve. Now, granted, there's some piano in there and some of some, mm-hmm. um, I'll call them manual instruments. But yeah, for the most part, I knew I didn't want to have, I definitely didn't want to have any kind of electronica stuff, right? It was all like manual. It was instruments that those people could have made, right? Even though there was some piano in there, you could have, someone could have carved a piano. You know what I mean? Someone could have, you know, carved a piano, found some string and, and made, a, made an instrument. So I tried to make it where everything, like you said, the drums, um, everything was, you know, very percussive sort of thing. Just, just focus on instruments that they could have made back in that time frame or that, you know, period or whatever. So that was a huge part of that, um, that score or that instrumentation, I should say. So what's next for you? Do you have any upcoming projects that you have in the works? So I have a couple different leads. I've, you know, the drill, right? I can't really talk about anything, but right. Um, and that's, it's always hit or miss, you know, it's like things will come out of the woodwork. And again, working in the indie film industry, um, you know, filmmakers will come to you, they'll have a new project. You'll talk about it. You'll, you'll get on board in a sense to, yes, I'm interested in the project. And then you might not hear from them for like six or eight months. Cause they had to go get funding or something that, you know, or funding fell through or, you know, that sort of thing. So that's always ebbing and flowing, you know, all the time. So 
Um, at the very moment, I'm actually coming on. I don't have anything I'm working on at this very second other than a few leads that we're waiting to hear back on. Um, but I'm coming off of a couple of um, couple of projects. So you mentioned Survey. So that was probably my last film that I just worked on. And I mean, Survey's doing great. It's it. I feel like every day, you know, <laughs> Steve is putting some other uh, festival selection or something. I think we just won another award yesterday that came across. So Survey's doing really good. So it's fun to kind of rot that way for a little bit. Um, so congrats to him. I mean, to all the cast and the crew that's doing really, really well. Um, I did just release, um, call it a quote, greatest hits, but obviously it's not a greatest hits. It's called Composer Cuts Volume 1. I have it on my my new Bandcamp page. So um, if folks are not uh, familiar with Bandcamp, it's almost like a an iTunes per se for, you know, indie musicians or whatnot, or, or even, you know, uh, sign musicians use Bandcamp. It's it's a, another opportunity to purchase and download music um, without having to be going through an iTunes or an Amazon or that sort of thing. Um, in fact, I forgot, I wanted to mention, I have a, a special discount code I want to offer to your listeners here for, at the very end, for anything on my Bandcamp page. So we'll make sure we'll, we touch that before we leave. Sweet. Um, but yeah, so I got my, uh, the greatest hits. What it was, was I've had some of my soundtracks. I put up all my soundtracks. I've always been asked, where can we get your music? Where can we get your music? And it was never really available. I had my friend Oscar, the full length soundtrack on iTunes for a couple of years now since the, since the film came out, but I never really offered any other, you know, music, you know, uh, streaming or otherwise. So I finally got off the, the, the horse and said, yeah, well, let me put it out there. I've got to ask, you know, a couple of times to, to have access to it. So I, I created a Bandcamp page. Um, so I, I had my, all my soundtracks were out there for, uh, what I started a couple months ago, I think. And then I just did kind of a, I call it the composer cuts volume one. It was of all the, the tracks that were out there. I took the, the top streaming, um, pieces that were out there. Stop, you know, most streamed by folks. And then I took some unreleased stuff. So like I mentioned before, you know, a lot of times you work on projects and then they just die out on a vine and they never come out. So there's a lot of music I've have out there that, um, is sitting on my hard drive, right? It was, it's, a, it's for this such and such film or that such and such film. And it just never came out, never was released. Um, who knows what happened to it, but all this music was done and completed. So I put some unreleased stuff on there. So I have that, that, uh, I just put that out right before Christmas. Um, and then ironically, um, my old band, Straight Jacket Smile, that, that last rock band, we still are in well in touch. We've been talking for a couple years now about getting together and putting all our originals down and re- doing a release of our old uh, our old tunes. But beyond that, um, we have worked on a lot of tribute records over the years. So um, one of my other guitar players, I play guitar, my other guitar player, Richard Kendrick, um, he's basically signed to Versailles Records, which is an indie record label, and they do a lot of tribute records. So every now and then he gets the opportunity to, to also play on some of these tributes. And when we do have the opportunity... Um, he calls upon us and we do, we might do a song or two as our old band, you know, so you get all our old band members back together and we do a, a tribute tune. And just last week, in fact, it was released. They did, a, uh, I think on the heels of the new queen movie, which was uh great, by the way, <laughs> you haven't seen it. I haven't seen um, it yet. You have not seen it. I have not. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. It's a, you gotta go check it out. Uh, but on the heels of that, um, Versailles records, just, they, uh, are releasing a queen's, uh, sorry, a Queen tribute record called We Will Rock You. And our old band got together and remade Killer Queen. Um, nice. By, uh, you know, by the band Queen. So, um, and that's, it's it's available now on Amazon streaming. And then they're going to put a formal CD out later this year. They're going to go back and do a, you know, 
I'll call it a brick and mortar release <laughs> uh, for the CDs. But right now it's out there. So that's pretty cool. So again, bunch of things just coming off the tail. And then anytime you hit the holidays too, it just collapses. Everybody takes off. So um, now we're back in the new year. Hopefully a lot of things will start, projects will start churning up again. And then, uh, yeah, we'll be back at it. Awesome. Well, I guess in closing, uh, do you have, uh, in addition to your Bandcamp and the the promo code, do you have any other sites or social media you want to plug? Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, uh, plug out for my main website. With this, you can get anywhere. It's ajcaruso.com. Very simple. Um, no dots, just ajcaruso, one word, dot com. From there, you can get anywhere to all my social links and whatnot. But I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, AJ Caruso three, the number three. Um, I'm the third. That's that's where that comes from. So I'm my uh, my dad's the you know, the junior and my grandfather's a senior. So I scooped up all the the AJ Caruso threes out there I could grab. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. So and then then the uh, Bandcamp ajcaruso.bandcamp.com. And again, you can get through that through my music store on my my main website ajcaruso.com. And uh, yeah, so. Um, once this airs, we'll uh, I'll put out a, a special Derek Diamond discount code. Um, so you guys, if you're interested, or anyone's any listeners are interested, go to the Bandcamp, um, purchase anything you want. You can purchase soundtracks, individual songs. You can buy the whole collection they offer if you want to do it all in one fail swoop. But it's a 50% off code. Well, uh, you just type at checkout. You just type Diamond 50, and you'll get 50% off anything at the Bandcamp store. And again, once we air this, we'll we'll formally publish the the uh, time frame that we'll we'll make it good for. Awesome! No, that's that's a fantastic deal, and I I'll say even on behalf of the listeners, that's that's awesome. Thank you. Absolutely, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, AJ, it was great getting to meet you. I've heard you know from Steve and other people, I've heard a lot of great things about you. So it was good to have you on the show and talk film and scoring. Awesome. One more plug, too. Sure. Um, my little short film, Z1412, is also out on Amazon Video now. You can, again, get through it from my main website, uh, but it's now streamable also at uh, Amazon Video. So go check it out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, AJ. All right. Thanks, Derek. You take care. Thanks again to AJ Caruso. And don't forget, you can get 50% off your purchase at his Bandcamp store, ajcaruso.bandcamp.com just use the promo code diamond50 and that is good for one week only one week only so if you are listening to this podcast the day it comes out which is March 7th you have seven days to use the promo code diamond50 at ajcaruso.bandcamp.com to get 50% off your purchase so thank you again to AJ for that fantastic deal and for the really fun chat. It was great getting to finally talk with him after hearing numerous good things about him from other people and can't wait to talk with him again in the future. For next week's show, I'll be chatting with actor, author, and personal trainer Jason Finney. He'll be on the show next week telling his story, so be sure to come back next week and check out that really fun episode. And since we're on the subject of film, uh, I did want to give an update on my film, The Parker Syndrome, I've been slowly but surely uh, hacking away at the rough cut of it. I know dealing with uh, my crazy schedule, it's been tough to really sit down and edit the film, but I'm close to having a rough cut finished. I hope to have that done by the end of the weekend. And then from there, we'll go into sound edit, um, any tweaks, and then color correction, and 
Hopefully it'll be done uh, sometime within the next you know month, month and a half, hopefully. But to tie it into the podcast, I do plan on featuring the Parker Syndrome as a two-part episode, one featuring the cast and the other featuring members of the crew. And that will probably be the season finale of the Derek Diamond Experience. You'll remember that uh, I mentioned at the beginning of the year that I'm going to take the summer off due to uh, baseball season and just it's very tough and next to impossible to do the podcast and many other things while work's going on during that time. So I'm going to take the summer off and then come back uh, probably in the middle of September. So the season finale is still kind of up in the air on when exactly it will be. It'll either be end of April, possibly the beginning of May. We'll just have to see how that goes. But uh, stay tuned to that. Uh, we've still got several great episodes to come out before then. So uh, the Derek Diamond experience is not going away quite yet. Uh, but you can always check out past episodes on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Just search for the Derek Diamond experience. And don't forget to leave a review. Uh, the more reviews you leave, uh, the more the show becomes visible to the podcasting public, which gets the show more exposure. You can also follow the show on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. And as always, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. Their songs Late Night Drive Through and Light and Jazzy can be found on their latest album, Greetings from the Space Fan, which is available on Apple Music, Spotify, and Google Play. And I think that's going to do it for this week's show. So thank you once again to AJ Caruso. Don't forget about the promo code for his Bandcamp store. And we'll see you guys here next week with actor Jason Finney. (laughs) 